All right. Well, good good afternoon to all of those who are watching via Facebook, via Twitter, uh, Periscope, via um, YouTube. Um, this is another clergy conversation, and I'm so happy today. And I'm excited and elated today to have with me a very special guest, one of my great mentors, friends, big brothers, and let me just say, one of God's greatest preachers, oh, no. greatest preachers, and one of God's greatest closers, one of God's greatest closers <laughs> in the no. person of my big no. brother, Reverend Dr. James A. Simmons, the proud pastor of the First Good Samaritan Baptist Church of Landover, Maryland. So, big bro, I'm glad to have you. I'm glad to have you. Glad to be here. So glad to be here. I thank God for our relationship. I thank God for what he's doing for you and your life. And so I, I'm just sitting back, just really just peacock proud of Pastor, <laughs> Pastor, Pastor Brown, Pastor Brown. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, and, and let me just say this. We were just talking. Big bro has OKC roots. Big bro has yes. OKC roots because his yes, great uncle his great uncle is the legendary pastor W.B. Parker from the loving St. James Missionary Baptist Church. This is a homecoming interview yes, today that we yes. had with Big Bro because he has, he. I remember when he told me he had these OKC roots. I said, what? And I couldn't believe it, but Big Bro has OKC roots because he, he is related to one of our great preachers and great legends. The Reverend Dr. W.B. Parker from the Loving St. James uh, Missionary Baptist Church. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And my dad, my dad, the late Dr. James E. Simmons used to run citywide revivals. Uh, and when he would come up, I think he yeah. would come up there for uh, Tucker, I believe, Dr. Tucker, the late uh, Pastor Tucker. I can't okay. remember the name of his church, but he would use the. Uh, that was a greater new sign. That's it. That's it. He would use the be. Uh, his uh, 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 church that he would go and preach for. And then also uh, my uncle used to have my father come down to do his revival every November, I would think it was. Every November he did his uh, fall revival. Okay. So Big Bro, as we get ready to start this, just um, introduce yourself. Tell us about yourself. Doc, I am Pastor James A. Simmons, again, a first good Samaritan Baptist Church in Atlanta, Maryland. Um, I've been pastoring for over 24, 25 years, the 26 years, matter of fact, and I've been uh, in the ministry uh, this year in October 6, 2021. It'll be 30 years in ministry, uh, but about 26 years in pastoral ministry. And uh, we are husband of 23 years uh, to Lakeisha Simmons. And I have five children. I have two sets of twins and one single in the middle. So my oldest set of twins are 22. They just graduated from college. Uh, and uh, my middle girl, she will be 18 this month, the end of this month. She's a senior in high school. And my last set of twins, they are 12. Yeah, they're 12. And they're in middle school. So Brittany, Brianna, Sydney, Madison, and Mason. They are my pride and joy. And so we are so appreciative for my family. And, you know, Doc, that's about it, you know. So uh, that's the latest and the greatest. 
<laughs> so you started preaching at what age? 21, 20, uh, 21, going on 21. So it was, I believe, 1991, uh, October, October 1991. Yeah. So talk to us because the, for those who don't know, Big Bro's father, the late Reverend Dr. James E. Simmons, is what was one of God's great preachers, one a well-known preacher. And yes, there is a clip of, of Big Bro's father preaching at the Springfield yes, Baptist Church yes, in 1981 sir. for Pastor L.B. Jones. And I watch that clip, and y'all, to this day, I tell them all the time, I text them and say, I still listen to your dad because the way he <laughs> preached and the way he closed, I was like, Oh man! We're, we're, you know. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! I, I, and see, back in those days, he was from the from the era where they did five nights, right? And some and sometimes what they would do is they would call you on. Matter of fact, he would fly down maybe on the Saturday. He would preach for the church on the Saturday for the morning service, and maybe open up the revival maybe Sunday night. Sometimes it would run Monday through Friday. Sometimes they would just do Monday through Wednesday. But pretty much those days, Doc, they, he said, I wasn't doing revivals. I was doing survivals. <laughs> so uh, so out of a 52-week year, Doc, he would probably do about 45 of those weeks on the road, no doubt. And so, uh, you know, so he he definitely was a uh, an evangelist, so to speak, and uh, definitely in demand. Preached a lot of simultaneous revivals, preached a lot of ministers' conferences and everything like that. So, uh, and, and back then, I think he was part of PNBC and uh, National Baptist. He would preach late night a lot of times during that time. Okay. Early, eight, early 80s, mid 80s, that was pretty much his era where he was really kind of in that uh, routine of preaching regularly all across the country. Oh. Yes, sir. Okay, so. When you were growing up, uh, listening to your father, just talk to us about how was it growing up in a well-respected preacher's home as a PK, and not just as a PK, but how was it then transitioning to becoming a preacher? So how was that growing up? You know what, Doc? Let me let me sit up for this. I always, sometimes, you know, you know how children we come up when you really don't know, pretty much, you know how big maybe your, your parents are when they're really excelling in their particular profession. I knew early on, uh, I guess around five or six, uh, we moved to, he got called, I was born in Minnie, Louisiana. That's where he, uh, that's why I was born. That's one of the churches where he passed it. Mount Calm, Missionary Baptist Church in Minnie, Louisiana. And then he got called to a church in Wichita, Kansas called Greater St. Mary's Missionary Baptist Church. Now it was there when I really started kind of getting into what he was doing around six years old. So I would be in the choir stand sometime or playing the drum, but while he's preaching, I would be behind him doing his every move. And I think people right. would be watching me mimic him while he was up there preaching, but I was so fascinated. And one thing that caught my attention about him was every time he's about to close, we go to a uh, visiting church somewhere and I would be sitting in the congregation and then he, you know, he'd, he'd get, the, get the moaning and, you know, get ready because get into his hoop and I touched somebody beside me and said, excuse me, do you know when my daddy gonna finish? And so, oh, that's your daddy. You know what I'm saying? So 
So I knew early <laughs> on just to see him up there. And I'm what, what amazed me as a young man is seeing my dad up there. It's like, man, that's that's my dad. And and what I thought he was doing at the time, I was like, man, he can make people cry. I've seen him up there preaching. I said, how in the world is he making people cry? He can make people run. You know, in my 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 uh, young mind, I didn't understand about the Holy Spirit like that. But I'm thinking, you know, sometimes I follow up there and, and people be laughing and they'd be crying, they'd be running, they'd be shouting. And so right. uh, I was just just enamored with him and his style of preaching and how people just really were drawn to him. And when I came up, now watch this is the, this is the interesting thing. I was a major, major basketball player coming up. And so my uh he wanted me to start kind of teaching Sunday school. You know, he said, hey, man, you know, he was trying to groom me into ministry. And so I'm like, man, I'm playing drums. I'm playing bass. That's all I want to do. So, of course, in your high school years, you're kind of feeling yourself. You're trying to find yourself. And so uh, I was just like, I'm not trying to teach nobody Sunday school class. And he was saying, well, I started passing when I was 16 years old. Uh, and so, you know, we want to at least have you start teaching Sunday school. I said, man, I, I don't want to teach no Sunday school. He said, yeah, when I was in high school, they called me rabbi. I said, I don't want to be called no rabbi. There ain't no good nickname for me coming up in high school. You know what I mean? So <laughs> long story short, man, uh, my first year, I went to Morgan State in Baltimore, Maryland, my first time away from home. And just to share with me my transition, I said, as soon as I go to college, university, I'm not going to nobody's church. You know, I've been in church all my life, 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock services my entire life. I'm talking about from Sunday school to BTU. <laughs> That's how far I dig right. myself back. And so uh, I said, man, once I get to college, I'm not going back. I'm not going to church and everything like that. I'm just going to stay in my at the time, I was in the apartment, so I said, I'm going to stay in my apartment and everything like that. My, my folks fixed me up. I was the only child, so they fixed me up in the apartment. And so uh, on Sunday morning, i never forget, my first weekend, I was awake. And, man, I woke up, and the Holy Spirit was just on me so hard, like, you need to be in church. You need to be in church. I was 18 years old. i never forget it. But I really think that was the Holy Spirit moving me to the call. But I hadn't quite figured it out just yes, yet because I had been under my father's tutelage for all these years. He's been my dad. He's been my father in ministry and my father, you know, you know, blood father. So, you know, I got a chance to go outside of that particular foundation as far as him being my pastor to a church in uh, Baltimore. I can't remember the name of the church, but a guy by the name of Dwayne Simmons was the pastor there. And. My father got in contact with him and, and, and told him I'd be going there and let me play the drums. So I was still able to still, you know, play and be active in church and going to church. And so I think fast forward 2021, that's when I was really feeling the call to, to minister, to preach. And so I told my dad, he said, okay, that's great. He said, but the first thing we're going to do is for the fall. The 91 fall, you got to go in somebody's school. So you're not going to preach in my pulpit or nobody else's pulpit until we enroll you in a seminary, some kind of Bible college and everything like that. So when I said I was called to, to preach, 
he enrolled me in Washington Bible College in Atlanta, Maryland in fall of 1991. And we've been rolling ever since. Uh, and and to, just to add to that, what was difficult, I know you didn't ask this question, but I, I wanted to share this. What was difficult is coming behind somebody like my dad, because early yeah, on- that's, that's what I wanted to get to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so early on, all you know is his style. So I came in the right. ministry almost like trying to be him. So it was, it was hard to try to find my voice in the early years of ministry because I was so much enamored with how my dad did it. You know what I mean? And so uh, I finally kind of transitioned and found my way once I uh, started going to, uh, you know, the seminary and being around other preachers and aspiring ministers and everything like that. I kind of found my boys along with him because I had his teaching along with the school's teaching. And that kind of molded me who I am today as far as ministry is concerned. So I didn't have to go. I, I found that I had I didn't have to go in uh, uh, walking in his shoes, mm -hmm. but I could walk in his footsteps and have my own shoes. <laughs> my so, so so when I got my pair of shoes, you know what I'm saying? I was yes, I was sir. good to go. I found my lane. And once I found okay. my lane, then I was able to kind of, you know, do what I needed to do. So that was that was definitely a challenge. My first couple of years of, of ministry, trying to find who I was and try to find my voice. Yes, sir. So big bro, did you ever feel pressured by whether it was church members by other preachers to be like your dad. And how did at you first, deal with that? At first I did, you know, because a lot of times I would feel bad when people say, uh, well, not, not bad, but I would feel a certain kind of way when people say, oh man, you sound just like your dad. And so that would be in my mind to where, okay, well, I got to continue to meet that model not realizing that I was doing my own gift of disservice. Ooh. And so, you know, like I tell, you know, what people tell us all the time, you know, if you're trying to copy somebody, the only best you can be is second best. So, you know, once right. I, and the other old, and see my, my, my fellowship at that time was with older ministers. So of course, everywhere he went, right. you know, I didn't, I really didn't have it like you had. It wasn't a lot of younger preachers out there that I could really relate to, you know what I mean? That had the kind of, uh, mm -hmm. I want to say, I want to say opportunities other than, uh, other than uh, maybe okay. uh, other than uh, Philip Horner. Uh, Philip Horner, Dr. Horner at that time, he was in the same area in the DMV and my father, his father was really, really close to him. The whole family, his, his grandfather, his father, his uncle, uh, they're all in this area. Uh, but they were all from uh, Texas, Port Arthur, Texas. And my father was from Texarkana, Texas. And so that connection with those families was that, you know, we had a great relationship regarding that. So, right. um, but I didn't have anybody really around my age group during that time to really fellowship with in, on a ministerial level. You know what I mean? So, and, and plus by me being called the pastor so early, I was called, around age 24, 25, and I was single at the time. So, you know, in this area, that was unheard of to get called that that early, that young and single. So, uh, right. 
it was it was challenging early on. It, it definitely was, but it 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 worked itself out. So now, when you talk to us about, as you say, you know, you didn't have a lot of um, younger preachers at the time you could really fellowship with. So, if let's say you found yourself alone, what did you do in those? early early days of ministry to grow yourself not just as a preacher but just grow yourself as a person that's a great question um basically what i did was i kind of stayed to myself really really honestly to kind of speak on that trying to find my voice that that was the main thing with me early on because being that young, a lot of my friends at the time, like I said, I was playing ball, and so I still had the club life, and plus I was playing the bass guitar, I was playing for different bands in the area, and so by me making that transition, you know, it was kind of difficult because I was by myself, so what I did, even in myself, sometimes I would get a lot of my father's tapes, uh, one of my heroes that I really would listen to, that my father, I listened to him, man, I just, I just lost it. My father, uh, he preached for what's the guy in Atlanta? Uh, uh, Jazz Doctor Doc, uh, Jasper Williams mm. of Salem. Yeah, and I remember, I remember we 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 drove up to Atlanta, Georgia. He preached for him, and uh, Pastor Williams that gave my dad some uh, some tapes of his. And so at the time, we he put his tapes in the car. And you talking about driving from Atlanta, Georgia, all the way home, just listening to Jasper William tapes. Man, when I heard him, man, it was like, wow. And so when I went back home, I would listen to, you know, different tapes of him and different tapes of Pastor West and a lot of these guys my father was kind of running with. But as I got older, I really started kind of hearing different voices to find my voice, so to speak. So basically, I still was alone, but I felt like I had all these all these preachers and preaching around me when I got hold of their tapes. You know what I mean? So it was almost like, you know, they they were talking straight to me, or we had, or, or they were my right. friends, so to speak. You know what I mean? Especially by you being an only child, you already gotta kind of make your own way being by yourself all the time. So I was used to that world being the only child. So that, that wasn't a major, major transition for me. So when you talk about finding your own voice, what advice would you give us young preachers about not just finding our own voice, but being comfortable in our voice? I would say we all, let me say this, Pastor Brown, we all go through that phase where you may have somebody you look to and you and you try to emulate them mm -hmm. uh, to the point where you, you kind of lose yourself and you, you see that that is the standard. So you're trying to reach for that standard. But I always uh, attribute this to the Michael Jordan situation. And uh, we would never know. People argue that Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan type situation. People would never know about those two because they would never be 27 years old together. Mm. <laughs> you, you can never know who the greatest is because both of them never played together or each other at 27 years old or 25 years old or whatever the case may be. Because Kobe Bryant would not be Kobe Bryant unless he saw a Michael Jordan. Right. My goodness. 
You, you, you understand what I'm saying? So how could how could Michael Jordan be Michael Jordan without saying Dr. J? Yeah, yeah. So 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 when you look at all of that, you see what these people bring to the table, but then you start copying right. them. But after a while, you start finding out. Okay, oh man, I can add on to this move. So 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 watch this. Dr. J jumped from the free throw line, wild everybody. But then. But then Michael Jordan, he double pumped it. And <laughs> so he right, did right, what Dr. J did, right. but he added something to it that made right, it heat. You know what I'm saying? And so after doing it a certain kind of way for so long, you end up kind of finding your lane. And also, most importantly, prayer and being in his in his midst and his presence and you know, studying everything like that. That will also get you there uh, as well. But I would say just just really being before God and, you know, praying to God, show me, show me, you know, I can't lean on my own understanding. All my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you and let you direct my path instead of me trying to force it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of times, man, we, we try to force pieces in our puzzle. Watch this, Doc. Sometimes you can't put mm. the puzzle together until you see the picture on the box. So we try mm. to put our own pieces, and when we try to do that, we have no peace. My goodness. Woo. My goodness. My goodness. Because, because <laughs> some pieces can only align in certain places. And so yeah. in certain places in my journey, I was allowed to put the pieces or God put the pieces to where I could see the picture starting to form. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's what it's supposed to look like. You know what I mean? Mm. But I struggled because one piece, I like this piece, and I wanted this piece to go right here, but it didn't fit. So the picture <laughs> couldn't come, so the picture couldn't come into field full view. So until I said, okay, this is supposed to go here, and I don't want it there, but that's where it's fit. So, so yeah. it was a perfect, it, 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 I had to find my place because a lot of times you can be in the, you can be in the position, but not in the right place. Wait a minute. It's mm. possible to be in the position, but it ain't your place. My goodness. And so once I found really what my true position was in ministry, then everything fell into place. Wow. And let me just say, Big Bro gives me these kind of illustrations and advice all the oh. time, like all the time. So it's just, it's just, just hearing it even now, it's like he gives this to me all the time. So, and I want to segue. Now, let me segue to talk to talk to us about getting called to your first church and being a candidate while being single, because I know I have friends of mine who maybe single and a candidate so talk to us about how it was you know being a candidate at a church and going through that process and being single at times so talk to us about that well it, 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 it well for me uh it was a challenge but also it was it was really really just well rewarding um i didn't pursue the church number one uh, my father was passing at the time to Bethany around uh, 91 to about 95. 
And so during that time, he was already grooming me uh, to be his uh, assistant pastor. At that time, I was just licensed. I was just a licensed minister. And so, of course, I was preaching all around the city and everything like that. But my father got a call from one of his preacher friends and said, you know, would you do you think your son would be interested in pastoring? He said, well, I'm sure he's interested, but he's you know, he's not ordained yet. And so he's working with me. And so they said, well, we, we want him to come over and preach for us a couple of Sundays. And so I went over and preached for the right. church. They liked me and everything like that. And so right then and there, they was kind of on pursuit uh, for my services in ministry and being a pastor. And so what happened was uh, my father said, OK, we, we got to put you in contact with the minister's conference to get me ordained by the late Dr. Charles Green. And so, uh, but before that, my father didn't want me to go. My father said, hey, man, I'm setting things up here at Bethany for you to be my successor. You're going to be assistant pastor once I get you a thing. And so uh, I really don't want you to go. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you're going to be well ahead of the game, so to speak, uh, as far as ministry is concerned, being here with me. So I'm like, I'm cool. I'm fine. But then it kept bothering him. He made a call to the person you said, the late Dr. L.B. Jones from Springfield. That was his, that was his pastor in ministry. So, and their connection went way right. back to Texarkana, Texas. My father's in Texarkana, Texas, and Dr. L.B. Jones was brought up in Hope, Arkansas, which was like okay. a stone's throw away. So that was their connection. But he called him up and told him what church was pursuing me and everything like that. And I would never forget this. He said, he said, Jones, I don't want my son to go. I, I got everything for him. He ready to go. He said. And he told Pastor Jones, told him, he said, Simon, he said, let me tell you something. He said, what, Doc? He said, what if your dad told you not to take your first church? Mm. Right then and there, my father said, you got it, Jones. I got, I got to let it go. He said, he said if, if this is the Lord's doing, you cannot come in between the Lord and your son. I know wow. you think you know what's best for your son, but the Lord has a bigger, greater purpose for your son. And so he he said, I wow. he he said, Look, I'm hesitantly, I'm hesitant in letting you go, but this is bigger than me. He said, I didn't call you, so I can't tell you where to go, where the Lord is sending you. So uh, wow. that was that, that was a major, major uh, shift in my life when my father said yes to God. Wait a minute. He said mm. yes to God when it came to my life. <laughs> and so and so because at that time, man, he was still kind of, you know, charting my journey to succeed him where he was. But really, really, and what he did not know is that. I wasn't going to succeed him there. I was going to succeed him at a church that he organized. Oh, Lord. So it, it, it came back because what happened, watch this, Pastor Brown. What happened was God wanted me to see how to deal with a traditional church. So he sent me Absolutely. to a traditional church He because my father said, yeah, you may need to go to get beat up on. Cause you're not gonna get beat up on here. 
So sometimes you may have to go somewhere and get your bruises and get your scars and get your battle scars and everything like that. Because one of the things that he was saying, older preacher would tell me is that, man, you know, you you have uh, you a great preacher, but your sermons don't have enough blood on. Mm. They said your sermon is, is is tough, but ain't no blood on. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about, man? And what they were saying was, you haven't been through enough. You have you you haven't been battle tested. You you've been in the nest with your dad, where he would come bring you wow. the worm. He would be bringing you the worm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so so now so now you got to be the early bird. Come on now. Because mm. God going to provide the word, but you got to get up early and get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm You're saying? So, 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 so going into the question you asked about the first church, uh, it was a child because I was single and, you know, it was a family church. It was a family church. And right. so, you know, since we talk, it's just me and you talking in the world, but it's just me and you talking. And so it yeah, yeah. It's us. It's like we know it's us. So it was a it was a it was a family church band, but what's interesting that uh you know you, you had a lot of family there, but you had a lot of nieces getting introduced to me. You, you know what I mean? You had a lot of right. daughters getting right. introduced to me, you know what I mean? And so, you know, I, I my father always said be respectful and just you know do ministry, you know what I mean? Right. And you, you're the pastor there, so you right. don't want to be, you know, doing this and that to, to kind of, you know, mess up your ministry before you really get started. And one of the things that really was a challenge for me, because when you first passed in the church, of course, you probably had this mentality with, hey, man, I, I want to do everything yeah. right. I want to do everything and then some to bring this church to another level. And so on Sunday mornings in D.C., we have a lot of subways and buses. And so on Sunday mornings, sometimes I'll be driving. And I see some, you know, disciples, members of the church, they walking from the bus stop or walking from the train station. So I'm seeing them. And my father said, whatever you do, don't pick nobody up. You ain't hearing me, Pastor Brown. He said, don't pick, he said, don't pick them ladies up. He said, I, I know you see them and you see them out there. They walking in the cold trying to get you. He said, don't pick them up. Because the minute you pick them up from the subway, you see them walking and you pull up and they in your car automatically stuff going to be going through people's minds and oh, what pastor doing? He with this one, he with that one and all that kind of thing. So, you know, uh, I, I, I stayed away on, on that aspect of it, thinking I could probably save the world and help everybody. And, uh, you know, that come to, uh, come to realization that, you know, you are the tow truck. Here, here come the, I can't help but do illustration. I found out there that I'm the tow truck. It's not my job to fix yeah. broken cars on the road. Rather. Rather. Mm. It's not my job to fix broken cars <laughs> on the road. It's my job to pick well, up the broken cars, put them on my lift, and take them to Jesus. Because watch this, Doc. Everybody, yeah. in, everybody in process is not your personal project. Mm. <laughs> so, so you, 
you do what you do. Everybody in process is not your personal project. You got it, Doc. And so, you know, being a young man, a young pastor, you think you could probably get to everybody. But you're not going to be able to save the world. Remember that woman at the well, Doc? She yep. went to her hometown and told everybody, hey, come see a man that wow. told me everything I ever done. But watch this. It said at the end of chapter four, it said, and many came to Jesus. And many came. But not all. Wait a minute, Doc. Don't miss it. Many, but not all. So everybody you preach it to, everybody may not be in the all. You may just get many. You may get some. Yeah. yeah. And that may be your job to get that few. Because like my father used to say all the time, son, there's going to be some people there that just going to be resistant. So you're going to have to watch this, Pastor Brown. Early on in my ministry, I learned this. I had to learn how to feed the sheep and starve the wolves. Mm. You better hear what I said, Doc. <laughs> and many of us in our younger ministry spend too much time trying to convert wolves and make them sheep. My goodness. Our job is to let wolves don't even bother with them. Don't spend all that time whooping with wolves. Your job is to feed the sheep, Doc. Your job is to share the sheep. Wow. <laughs> so, so that was a difficult lesson for me to learn early on where, you know, even the folk that didn't like me, I'm so busy trying to win them over, I'm missing the sheep that I'm supposed to be feeding. Because I'm, I'm so busy taking care wow. of trying to turn wow. these wolves in the sheep. <laughs> wow. You know what I'm saying? So, wow. So that, was, that was a hard lesson wow. I had to learn. Another wow. hard lesson I had to learn was uh, was that. Uh, wait, wait, go ahead, go ahead. I ain't going to take over. Though. Go ahead, go ahead. What you, what you <laughs> I'm about to tell you, keep going because uh, uh, that ahead, is ahead, a great, that's a great, what you just said is great because, um, and I'll say it, when I was a candidate at um, Sunrise, when I was um, having my interviews, uh, I did. I reached out to Big Bro, Pastor Simmons, and Pastor Simmons, he gave me so many different um, keys to what to do. How do you come in and approach? How do you do this? How do you do that? So when you're talk, so then talk to us when you are a new pastor from mm. your experience, when you are a mm. new pastor, what are the do's and the don'ts, especially as we just talked about feeding that, you know, sometimes, you know, because the Lord has had to convince me of this is that to wait, to be patient instead of trying to try to do what I think in my mind, but falling back and letting God do it. So what are the do's and the don'ts from your experience that you want to share with us as new pastors, as young preachers of what we should do and what we shouldn't do when we first get to a church? Well, first of all, great question. First of all, you have to understand as, 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 as being the, the new pastor is that the church didn't stop when you became new pastor. <laughs> right. Right. They was already there before you got there. So they had right. some levels of success before you got there. So as a young right. man or young pastor or new pastor, you want to first find out what worked, what's working, before right. we come in there and start trying to change everything. And one thing I would tell young pastors is, you know, you don't change is almost like a curse word. 
in the church. Beginning your sentence with, we gonna change. Oh, no, no, no. If anything, you wanna come with a more softer word, but really effective word, which is improve. Okay. This, this is where we can improve. You know what I mean? So using type of wording like that will be very, very helpful as opposed to you come. And then another thing, uh, my mind is everywhere. Another thing is you want to be real uh, uh, conscious of the previous pastor, the predecessor, whether they like, watch this, whether some people liked them or didn't like them. Evidently, enough people liked the person or love the person that they was there for a certain amount of time or season. So you want to make sure right. that you have some kind of respect uh, for the person that you're coming behind and, and, and hold that person in a place of reverence where, hey, you know, I thank God for the leadership and the legacy and where you are today is based on your relationship and how the, the partnership and, and got to this point. And I'm here just to build on top of that. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Uh, but trying to go in in the first year saying, well, now nah, everything y'all been doing all these years been wrong. So now we're going to do it the right way now that I'm here. No, no, no. You, the, the quicker you came in there, it's going to be the quickest way you get out of it. So, uh, you know, you want to be very, very uh, vigilant during this time. Uh, one of the things I've done uh, in previous times of being a new pastor is I had a meet and greet that went that always go very well because yeah. a lot of people only see you in the pulpit so they know you one way so one of the things I would do is that I mean it took a while but uh, after every Sunday service I would meet several families one every family call them in the office hey I want y'all to meet me I don't want y'all to learn me through the deacons. I don't want y'all to learn me through the pulpit committee. I want y'all to learn me through the officers and the leadership. I want you to know me one-on-one. And so that was very helpful. So then even those who may not have vote didn't vote for me, they got to know me and right. fell in love with me. You know what I'm saying? So it gives you an opportunity to know the people and let the people know you because it's hard to minister to people that you don't know. So you got to be there long enough to kind of learn the people and learn where they are, learn where they're serving. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I remember one church, our pastor, they, they were trying to get me to fire somebody. And I'm like, why you want me to fire? They've been here all these years. But see, I was smart <laughs> enough and had, had wisdom enough to know that I'm not going to be the scapegoat. You're not going to call me and say, now you need, I say, I ain't hiring them. So that means I ain't going to find, you know? So, but sometimes you got to watch out. <laughs> you know, God, God opened doors because, because, but some people got some trap doors for you. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, you want to yeah. make, sure, <laughs> make sure that you are not set up to do something that, that almost like you don't want to be somebody's uh, henchman. Like David sent his man to say, Hey, you know, put your boy on the, on the front line. You know, so uh, because a lot of people, you, you may you may see the shot, but you don't see who gave him the bullet. So sometimes you gotta you gotta kind of hang around and see. You see the person, you see the person shooting. You know who's shooting, but sometimes you gotta wait around long enough to find out who giving this guy, who giving this lady all these bullets to shoot me with. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you can't just My rush. Goodness. The judgment. My goodness. 
And then here's another thing that you need to do is every funeral, every funeral, every uh, celebration of life service that you do, especially early on, keep all the programs. Keep them. Keep the programs and read the family history. Because some, this is, Lord, I'm, I'm letting my secrets go. But this is a way you can figure out who is related to who. Because right. sometimes you may get resistance for somebody whose name is Johnson. But you were, but you wondered why are the Jacksons mad? I ain't do nothing with the Jacksons. The Johnsons are upset. But why are the Johnsons and the Jacksons mad? Because somewhere along the line, they related. <laughs> you don't know that when you first come. Because nobody tells you. Exactly, Doc. <laughs> so, so when you're doing these funeral services, pay close attention to the obituary. Play close attention who's connected, who's related, some kind of way, because last names don't tell you the whole story. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's a that's a good tidbit to kind of get really familiarized with your congregation, so to speak. So so then ask this question: When you are at a new church, how do you? How did you? And how would you help us, new pastors and young priests, again approach the preaching and approach the preaching on Sunday and the teaching on Wednesday? What sh what is what should we preach? Of course, we want to preach God's word, but what should right. we preach? And what should we preach? Like, should we go in preaching pastorally, even though we really just got there? Or should we just really just encourage right now and get to know the people? Well, that's a great, that's a great question. I would say you always want to err on the side of love. Any kind of any kind of sermon text is dealing with love. Because I don't care what church you go to, there's going to be no perfect church. Somebody going to have some issues. So basically, you coming in together and you preaching love and unity, you know, because uniformity is not the same as unity. You got people right. that look like they're together, but they really so far apart. They from they look like they they look like they as close as, you know, uh, the DMV area, you know, Maryland, D.C., right. Virginia. But they really, you know, as far as New York and California, really. Right. On the spectrum. So you want to, you know, how are we going to come together? How are we going to find out where everybody, like I said, about the position and places, you know, you won't, you, you may have some people in position, but that's not their rightful place, you know, because sometimes people get positioned because they've been thrown in a position because it's been empty. So we just want to fill this slot. So you got to figure all this out by you being there and kind of having conversation with different people. One of the things that helped me too was doing lessons on spiritual gifts. That would help with placing, okay. placing and positioning people. First of all, understand what's my spiritual gift? Because now I got to understand I'm a part of the body of Christ, but where do I fit in the body of Christ? And so one good lesson that you could do is understanding one spiritual gift. Because the average person, watch this, even in leadership, don't really know their spiritual gift. And so you you have to educate them on the spiritual people because just because you you work at the bank don't make you a trustee at church. Come on now, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. 
Yeah. So, so right, there's, right. A, there's some things that, that you got to have to identify uh, with the spiritual gifted that will allow their gift to make room for them in the body of Christ. Because a lot of people are so cooped up with membership of the church where they forget about the membership within the body of Christ. Because a lot of people, they are working in the church, but watch this. Instead of increase, you got a lot of infection because mm. you got people have allowed for this ease, which really is a disease in yeah. the body of Christ. Come on now, because disease is really just dis-ease. Come on now. Yeah. And so when people Say don't it. know their spiritual gifting, they are find themselves in places that end up being an infection in the body of Christ. And so you don't have increase, but you have growth. Wait a minute. My goodness. And you don't want to grow. You want to grow, but you don't want to grow. Come on now. Mm. And so, you know, that's why you don't want to make hasty decisions. You want to just kind of, I don't want to say, right. I hate saying like sit back, but you really want to be in a position where you are really aware and sensitive to the Holy Spirit in relationship to the people and helping them find their spiritual gift. You know, and I told a lot of people all the time, I can't just come in here and tell you, this is what your spiritual gift is. This is what your spiritual gift is. The Holy Spirit gives the spiritual gift. So you got to have a personal relationship with not just Jesus Christ, but you got to understand the development of a relationship with the Holy Spirit, which he left for us to be in that spiritual position to help guide us since Jesus not no, he's not uh he's not any longer here as far as being in the physical body but he said I'm going to send you somebody that's going to help you that's going to take my place that's yeah. going to still show you the purpose and plan of God so you know a lot of people are uh hopscotching or leapfrogging over the holy spirit just to get to Jesus and the father you know what i mean but to know your spiritual gift you have to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So I think those are great, great tools yes, that you can open up to your congregation as it relates to, you know, spiritual gifts so we will know our proper place. Because you got so many people, they, they call up in membership only and miss the whole discipleship piece. Because now that I'm a member, now, you know, uh, now I got to pay membership dues. Don't get me started with that. So that whole mentality uh, is just, antiquated you know what i mean so i i my thing is i've tried to transition people in, uh, to discipleship preaching messages teaching on discipleship that deals with that relationship with christ you can't lose like that because the key to discipleship is jesus i think in john 13 34 35 said you know this is how they know you my disciple how you love one another how you love the brother right and so that whole love piece is connected to the discipleship piece yeah. that's connected to the spiritual gift piece all that kind of intertwined with help with the church because watch this doc before the church became the church jesus started with discipleship and from mm -hmm. discipleship we see peter out preaching and now we see the first century church in yeah. acts chapter two you know what i mean so but it all started yes, out sir. with that yes, relationship sir. by way of discipleship and i'm telling you pastor brown you cannot lose with pushing discipleship and love Helping them to understand when you look at the cross, yes, it's vertical and it's horizontal. But you cannot hang a cross only on a horizontal. It has to be the vertical first 
and then the horizontal. Yeah. So your relationship with God first, yeah. and then you have fellowship with your fellow man. And so I think when you bring in that yeah. kind of dynamic to it, uh, it'll really, really help the church grow. It'll help us not see you as my enemy just because you're different from me. You know, I see I did watch this. Just because right. you're different don't mean we have to be indifferent. It's the differences that make the difference. It's mm. because what you bring to the table, I don't bring to That's the right. table, but I bring to the table what you don't bring to the table. So we're better together instead of me hating on you, gritting on you, saying, oh, they think they this or they this. No, no, no. <laughs> bring, your, bring your gift into the table. I'm going to bring my gift into the table, and we all going to function better in the body of Christ. But people don't know their spiritual gift. So they become a a disease which causes dis-ease within the body of Christ. See, this this is why I told y'all, this is my big brother. We tell, <laughs> he tells me this stuff all of the time. This is my big brother. So then, okay, so tell us, because we know, because like I said, I know that you um started one church, now you're at First Good Samaritan Baptist Church. Tell us how that transition was from going to, from pastoring a church to now you're, as you said, start, you know, going to a church that was organized by your dad. And now, how was that transition? Well, it, it, it was, it was, it was, it was easy and hard. Uh, we, let me just give you some context, background. We started First Good Samaritan in 1997. My father was in Louisiana. He came up on my wedding. He came up on my wedding. He was living in Louisiana. He had a church called First Good Samaritan in many Louisiana. Because when he left New Bethany, he was really, really sick. His, 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 his kidneys had failed him. He was on dialysis and he was losing weight. And so he wanted to be, he thought he was going to transition. So he went down south and said, you know, I'm going to just settle here and everything like that. But what happened was, he started going to a different dialysis center and his health picked up because his issue was he kept getting infections. Okay. And so you, that's a bad thing for a dialysis patient. Right. So he started, you know, having a great dialysis center when he got to uh, Louisiana and he picked up in his health. So he organized. Remember now, I told you I was born in many Louisiana. Keep that in mind. I said that earlier. He went back to Louisiana. Right. Right. So he organized a church in Louisiana and was some of the people that was from his prior church when he was first there in the early 70s. So he came up, fast forward, 97, he came up for my uh, wedding. And then a couple of people who was here when he left, they was like, look, we, we can't find another church. We need to be in church, but we don't have a church home, blah, blah, blah. And so he said, listen, after the wedding, uh, I want y'all to meet me at uh, Sister Claudia's house, we met in the basement, and that's when he came to his mind and said, we're going to stop First Good Samaritan in D.C. So we had one church in two locations, and this was back in 97. Wow. So he was dealing with the Louisiana location, I was dealing with the D.C. location. So long story short, I had my first set of twins in 98. So a year after I had my twins. Okay. And so he said, as a grandfather, a first-time grandfather, he said, I don't want my grandchildren having to learn me every year just on Thanksgiving. You know, because at the time I was a bivocational pastor. So I was working for the government and I was right. So he he moved from Louisiana and moved back 
to marital. <laughs> so it, it shifted me from being pastor to co-pastor. So that was a okay. challenge for me. Because all those years, I was pretty much kind of, you know, pastoring the way I needed to pastor with the group of people that I had that was all pretty much my age. And so to give you a mentality that my father had was that I had a, a Sunday called Casual for Christ Sunday. And so when he came back, uh, he said, we gonna, we cutting all that out. We ain't, we not doing that. We, we've been dressing down all our lives. We ain't not going to have no dress down Sunday. We, we dressing up every Sunday. So, you know, when you're dealing with that kind of mentality where it's like, look, it's going to be his way or no way. So I found myself kind of, you know, morphing myself into what he wanted. And then I finally, we went, we had a conversation. And I said, listen, dad, you know, I love you, but I need to kind of make some moves. And he understood. He said, if you felt any way uh, other than the way you're feeling now, I would feel bad. So I understand that. Go put your resumes in, do what you need to do. And so I got called to a church. And so, he got he, he took sick again. My mom called me around 2008 and said, you know, you, you know, you need to come back home. I said, what's going on? She was like, you know, you know, don't don't say anything to your dad. Just come home. Because I said, well, I just talked to him. He sounded good. He said he always sounds good on the phone, but you got to see him. You know, at this time, you know, he, he couldn't hardly see his diabetes that really kind of taking effect. He couldn't really see, you know, he lost his ability to get around by himself and everything like that. So, you know, so it really got tough. So uh, I came home and when I saw him, that's when we had the conversation. And he said, man, you know, uh, I think you you have matured. And what really threw me, Pastor Brown, he said to me, he said he had matured. He said we both had some maturing to do, mm. but now I'm ready right. for you to be. Watch this, dog. This yeah. will mess me up. Then now I'm ready for you to be my pastor. Pastor Brown. Wow. Pastor Brown. I thought the world shifted. I never thought I would hear that come out of my dad. Because he was a prideful man. You know what I'm saying? You know, he was humble, but he was also prideful. You know, and I understood that. But he's like, I'm at the point now where I I, I can see you as my pastor. And he made that he made that declaration uh to the church and said, you know, you're gonna have my son come back and you know he's gonna be uh, our pastor, which just blew me away because what really settled it in because earlier that year in 2008, L.B. Jones, Pastor Jones had passed in February of the same year, in 2008. I came up in March and made the transition and then my father died on Father's Day, June 2008. So that same year, wow. Pastor, Jones, Pastor Jones died in February and my father passed, went right behind them. In, in in June on Father's Day, so that, 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 it, it was it was it was easy, but it was hard. So if, right. if that makes sense, you know what I'm saying. But what I can tell you is this: not one time since my father has passed has the church ever thrown in my face. If your father was living, he wouldn't have done it like that. Not one time. Not one time they have allowed me to be me, where I didn't have to imitate i didn't have to keep in place or follow that particular model he said him and the lord set down a great foundation for me to build upon not to duplicate so once i knew that wow. they were on board as far as receiving me because see now they had to go from taking care of two people which was my mom and my father 
Now they got to take care of a whole family. So I'm bringing, at the time, me, Keisha, three girls at the time, but she was pregnant with twins. So I'm like, listen, y'all understand, I'm coming back, but I'm coming back with the whole basketball team. You know what I'm saying? So y'all need to be <laughs> right. to take care of my of my starting right. five. You know what I'm saying? So uh so with that being right. said, <laughs> it, it, so so it it it, right. it it that part aspect became real easy because they were already uh, uh knew me and a lot of people here have known me since I was eight years old. So I, I turned fifty last year. I'll be fifty one in July. So I've already had a relationship with a lot of people and they didn't have any issue with making the transition uh, from my dad to me. But it was difficult for me because after he passed, not only did I lose my dad, they lost their pastor. So I had to go in the pastor mode to them, right. neglecting my loss, which was a tragedy. So I'm trying to pastor a church that's lost the pastor, but I'm still grieving. The wow. loss of my dad and my children are grieving the loss of their grandfather. So I, I'm still trying to deal with my family. I'm dealing with the church family. I'm dealing with my mom. She lost the husband. So, you know, I was still in go mode. And so it didn't hit me till about two years later. I, mean, I was driving on the highway and died and just started crying. And just started crying, crying. And people was in the car trying, you all right? You all right? And I just went in the parking lot and just bawled. But it was two years of that balled up to where I finally got a chance to release. And I tell people all the time, when you losing people that close to you, take you some time. Take you some time for you. Take you some time to go through a grieving process. But my situation was so unique that the pastor of the church happened to be my father. So I'm trying to take care of them, but I need it taken care of, you know. So I I, I just sent out a post wow. on my Dr. Simmons says I talked about you know uh, everybody who's looking uh, people who's looking out for everybody also need eyes on them. Wow, <laughs> wow! Now that that right there. Was. Yeah. That that's 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 because as you said, big bro, you're dealing with a grief, but you still not be past it. And not only that, while you're grieving, you got to be there with grieving families, so you still got to put your own grief in the back burner because yeah. you got to be there with the, with your members as they're grieving. You know, and so to be able to come through that, I feel is a testimony to what. And watch this, uh, and don't keep and keep this in mind. I was living in the house where it was, uh, it was, it was, it, it was where they lived. So wow. you saw reminders of him everywhere. So when I moved back home, I literally moved back home because wow. I still had my house in Virginia. But you know, so it was always a reminder that I'm going to. I, I, he was a smoker. You know, people knew he smoked cigarette. I smelled his scent every time I walked in the house. You know, everything he where he sat, you know, but I'm still trying to deal with everybody's grief. I had one of my daughters that they didn't want to go back in the house. Wow. Because that was the last time where they saw their grandpa, their paw paw. You know what I'm saying? So I had one daughter just sitting on the front step and like, I don't want to go in. I can't go in. She And you talking about, she was like, Brianna, she was like five, six years old at that time. And, uh, you know, it was a whole, almost a whole day went by. She just stayed on the front porch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So. 
it was it was tough. It was tough to say the least. Tough to say, and it's right. still tough. But but an older lady told me yeah. that she said it may not get better, but it will get bearable. And she has been a prophetess mm. on that doc. If it it may not yes, get sir. better, but it will yes, get sir. bearable. It used to be a time I I talk about this and start just crying, but now I can talk about it and you know still have good feelings about because I went through that grieving process. You know what I mean? So yeah. That was tough. Wow. Tough. Wow. And, and so you've been at first grade at first good Samaritan since 2008, right? Right, 2008. So but I've always been eight. Pretty much, yeah. But I really count all of them together. So I've really been there 23 okay. years, basically. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> even when I even when I passed at another church, okay. they still had me, they still had me on the books. You know what I mean? So, right, right, right. So yeah, yeah, but but uh, but officially senior pastor since two thousand and eight. But I but okay. proud of that I was co pastor. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well that's amazing too. And I got a couple more questions. Like I said, be ready to celebrate with the time. I ain't gonna I ain't gonna keep it too much longer. No, we good. So we talk good. to me. Oh yeah. So talk to me about education. Um, because mm -hmm. Big Bro is a, he has an earned doctorate. So talk to us about your educational journey and encourage us as young preachers as young pastors about the necessity of school and talk to us also when it comes to education about what you saw from your father going to school and how he pushed you to go to school so talk mm. to us about that well i put it to you like this to, to make the long story short that year when i told you i started preaching in 90 in 91 and so uh my first class was old testament survey and when I went to that class, it had to be about 50 to 60 some people in the class, right? So this big auditorium and, you know, I'm just feel like I'm just swallowed up with all these mega minds, you know? So I go in the first day and the professor, uh, Professor Fuller, I'll never forget it. Professor Fuller, he asked this question. He said, out of all of you here, how many of you all are Preachers, watch the past. How many of y'all preachers? Put my fingers up. Three people stood up. Rev, Rev. Three people out of fifty to sixty people. Three people in the entire class were preachers. So I went home and told my father, I said, man, you know, we got about 60 people in the class and I'm one of three preachers. He said, see, that's why I want you going because you preaching to people who know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You got, wow. people in the, you got people in your pews, doc. That's no more than know. some people in the pulpit, doc. Wow. wow. I'm trying to tell you, man. And so that he he really woke me up with that. He said, that's why I need you going. He said, man, because you can't make it the way I made it. You, you can't, you can't, you can't enter into ministry on your gift and your hoop. That ain't gonna work. These people now coming up, Doc, they want to know the word, Doc. And watch this. Some of them already know the word. And in your day now, you coming up, Doc, they fact checking you right when you preaching. They Googling you. Why are you preaching? You think they on the phone texting? 
No, they said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure Pastor Brown saying something right. You know, because back in the old days, my father used to say, you get up there preaching and it ain't in the Bible. Them old sisters be right, mm, that ain't in my Bible, Reverend. That ain't in my Bible, Reverend. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but Doc, you in the day now, man, where they can fact check you in real time. But I'm talking about, Doc, this was in 91. Yes, sir. 91. And Doc, they didn't want, they, they weren't trying to be no preacher. They weren't trying to be no pastor. Doc, they was going to know more about the law. They said, I want, I'm here because I want a better understanding on who God is and who I am to God and what my purpose is based on understanding really deeper into his word and not just a surface type of preacher. And so my father told me this a, lot, a, a, a while ago. He said, he, he said, man, imagine you looking at a clock. Let's just say, a, let me see something. Uh, yeah, a clock. He, he, I'm going to just use this now. He said, look at that clock on the wall, son. I looked at the clock on the wall. He said, now the average person see that clock and they see those numbers and they see the circular shape. He said, but me looking at that clock, I'm looking at that clock and saying, why is that clock circular and not square? I'm looking at that clock and saying, why does it have regular numbers and not Roman numerals? I'm looking at that clock and say, why does it only have 12, 3, 6, 9? Come on, man. He said, Doc, that's what school is going to help you do. School is going to help you see what other folk don't see. School is going to yeah. help you look in between the words, underneath the words, parsing it, looking at closets, you know. And so one thing I, I, what fascinated me about school when I learned how to look at one passage 10 different ways. One of our assignments in Old right. Testament survey was write, write uh, a 10 page uh, 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 sermon on 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 one verse, but you can't use nothing in your previous uh, 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 nothing your previous uh, uh, sermons or what you have given us in the nine. So if I gave mm -hmm. ten sermons, it had to be completely different. So it made you look at the yeah. punctuation. It made me look at the punctuation. It made me look at you know. Words meaning one thing in this particular passage and meaning something else in another passage. You know, it made me look at if I was looking at Simon, what Simon am I looking at? Not taking for granted that it's talking about Simon Peter, where there's about seven or eight Simons in the Bible. So, you know, and one of the things that really blew mm. my mind, and we grew up with this all the time, that uh, Professor Fuller again, he said, Let me ask y'all something. Because we the first book was Genesis. So he said, what did Adam and Eve eat? And I mean, like, everybody hand went up the apple, the apple, the apple. He said, I give y'all a million dollars. Y'all go in your Bible and show me where apple is. Doc. Blue, blew our mind, Doc. Just even in it, because you would hear sermons so many times with teaching all the time, or even pictures of Adam and Eve pulling the apple out the tree. Not realizing that an apple wasn't even in there. So that's that taught me that a lot of things I have taken for granted because somebody said it from somebody pulpit. But just because they said it in the pulpit don't necessarily mean it was biblical. It could have been traditional, you know, 
All the time we talking about three wise men, three wise men. The Bible don't say three wise men. It just says wise men. It could have been two. It could have been 2002. Right. But we have taken so many things. School is important because it will show you different lenses to look at scripture. You know what I mean? And so many times when people look at the Bible, they just look at it through one lens. And so, you know, you want to be able to see it from all different facets to get everything you can out of it. You know what I mean? So I think that's what school right. really opened my eyes to not looking at surface preaching. You know, when I first started preaching, I was just doing surface preaching for yes, what it said. But then when I started understanding Hebrew and I started understanding Greek, now I started understanding how to evaluate clauses, all that kind of thing, man. So A clause, B clause, C clause, how are they interrelated? You know, why is this but inserted? Why is this and in here? What, is it a continued thought? Is it a thought of interruption? What is it trying to change? What is the shift? So it's a lot of things that school would teach with the hermeneutics of it, you know, where is the what is the story of it, the, the, the homiletics of it, what is the interpretation of the story? So there's a lot of things that go in the fact that we'd be looking at eisegesis versus exegesis. You know what I mean? So in a lot of time I found myself doing more eisegesis, which I was doing a disservice to the text. So, you know, right. it's it, 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 not so many times you need to be doing where in my mind's eye, in my spiritual imagination. No, just deal with the Bible. Just, what does what the Bible yeah. say? I want to deal with your imagination today, preacher. Tell me what the Bible says. So a lot of us, we think if we preach the Bible, we're doing too much of this eisegetical interpretation when it needs to be exegetical. So a lot of those things, and that's when I found my voice. That's another avenue that will help you find your voice based on you know going to school and that nature so yeah so i i, I went to school as far as with my dad's school where he taught me because he went to bishop he went to bishop college in texas back in the day you know that was just the school the preachers back then yeah so i had yeah, I, had yeah. Him, I had him in one ear then i had uh virginia university of lynchburg in the other ear and so uh that that kind of formed and morphed and shaped me into who I am today. And I still have a lot to learn. Because the more you know, the more you find out you don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, right. school is a great, great tool. It's not everything, but it is a major contribution to your ministry. You know what I mean? Because there's some things the law will give you that the books won't give you. You know what I mean? Because so many times in school, you're dealing with so many commentaries. Absolutely. Absolutely. Remember, remember these commentaries, somebody else wrote those commentaries. So you're dealing with somebody else's thought. So the same way the Holy Spirit talked to them, the Holy Spirit can talk to you. So you want to use that aspect of it too. You don't want to rule That's yourself right. out. And what God wants to say to you uniquely. You know what I mean? So all the commentaries, I'm not down to none of that, but understand the Holy Spirit is still talking. God right. is still talking. So you don't want to be a lazy type of preacher and just depend on commentaries and what this book's saying about this. And, you know, I don't knock that. That, that go along with what you have. So, uh, but uh, you want to leave yourself open. I tell people this all the time. God is able, but we need to remain available. So being available is the key, you know. So that's that with that. Hopefully I answered Well, I did Oh, no, you answered it because, you know, I felt that when I first went to seminary and just the mm -hmm. more I grew and the more I was studying, of course, you know, it's plenty of more. I, I, I know it's plenty more. Like I, I'm looking at 
you know, schools even now just to continue to sharpen the tools that so many of you all have told me. So that definitely was a um, it was a blessing to right. sit in the classroom to get that teaching, you know. And watch this, Pastor Brown. I, I hate to interrupt, but I got to tell you this too. You start establishing your own relationships in school. So the right. people you're coming up with, guess who they're going to be eventually? They're going to. Uh, uh, he gonna pass the church and she gonna pass the church. And these all the people that you're coming up in school with. So now you're developing relationships and fellowships. Just like you got a church, whoever you went to school with, they gonna eventually have a church. And so now you you got a history. You got a group of people that you come to know. They not just in your circle, but they in your corner. You know what I mean? And so uh, you know that's right. another advantageous piece of school where you develop these fellowships and relationships with others. As you're coming up together, as opposed to me, I was going to school at night. So who went to school at night? A lot of the people who were old okay. again, again, why well, didn't have people my age? You see what I'm saying? So again, I put myself in a situation where it was a lot of older people in Bible college. So I didn't have any, I didn't have a lot of connections with my age group in ministry because I was going to even going to school during the time where people were, you know, I'm 20, 21, close person my age is 31. Or 51. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it was still kind of tough. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm gonna ask one more question, then uh okay. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna uh, then if you got anything else to say, we can uh, get on that when you're talking about let's get into it because I let me say the background. So when me and Big Bro were driving, um, I picked them <laughs> up. It was funny because he came to preach. I was still living in Texas, he came to preach at Macedonia Miss Baptist Church for Pastor Julius Jackson. So the funny thing about it was he was a he he was a he was supposed to fly, but he had to take a train. That's what the funny part. That's where the story gets to. So he was supposed to fly. (laughs) Takes a train, right? You right, you right. So I remember Pastor, Pastor Jackson was telling me I need to go pick him up. So he was staying at the Radisson because that's the hotel they um he used that day. So picked right. him up that Sunday morning. We was driving and talking. And then, of course, Big Bro was telling me this, telling me that. Then I asked him about marriage. And that's how we got – that's where I'm getting at because he talked to me about marriage. He talked to me about – so practical about what uh, – about having the right woman with you in ministry. And when he talked about having the right woman with you in ministry, it blessed my heart so much to where it made me really look at that again and say, okay, just because a woman looks good on the outside doesn't mean they're good for you on the inside and to help you when you go in down ministry, when you go down this ministry road. So he, had, so me and Big Bro had this conversation. <laughs> and let me just say, he killed Macedonia that day. He killed oh, Macedonia. Oh, I never oh, forget oh. that kid. You kind. You been kind. I wish I had that because he killed. No, so you yeah. know you killed, but that's okay. No, we'll no, no. But he talked so <laughs> he talked so strongly about marriage. And Big Bro, I want you to tell us about not just the conversation, but the importance of the right woman in ministry and what your wife said to you that you told me yeah. that to this day I've yeah. never forgotten. I, you got you got to tell it now. All right. <laughs> So basically, uh, of course, like I told y'all, I started out as a single pastor. So um, I knew the importance of a helpmate. And so uh, prior to that, you know, as preachers do, many people that I was probably dating with people I met in church or somebody's sanctuary or whatever like that, 
you know, picked up a number, whatever, and called him, took him out, that kind of thing. So what I what was happening to me is that a lot of people that I dated that I met in church already had aspirations of being a first lady. So, you know, right off the bat, you know, they like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be some first lady. I'm, I remember some days I went on, uh, they want to just listen to, you know, the religious station. I was like, Lord, I mean, you know, I got a life. I like listening to jazz and some other kind of stuff. You know, I wanted to listen to SW, SWV and all that kind of stuff, man. And so, uh, you know, they want to put in, uh, you know, uh, what's that, uh, Aretha Franklin, uh, Amazing Grace, and, uh, you know, Shirley, Shirley Caesar, Hold My Mule or something. You know what I mean? So, uh, so right. I'm like, man, now nah, this right here is for birds, man. So, uh, what was I, I prayed to the Lord? I said, Lord, I want you to send me somebody that has a understanding of who I am, who not not the preacher, not the pastor. I need somebody to meet me for me. So, you know, I'm at a basketball game. I'm playing with my 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 my, my job on a, in a, on a job basketball league. Yeah. Here come Keisha. She walks in and she tells her little girlfriend she went to the game with and said, you know, who is that guy? Who is that guy up there looking like Jordan Duncan on everybody? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, man, so she tells her who I am. And she said, you know, so she said, hey, you want to meet him? She said, no, nah, I ain't coming for that. I just, you know, come in, just watching the game. But I just thought he, you know, you know, kind of decent on the eye. So long story short, she told a friend, a friend, told me, I said, come to the next game, I'll meet and everything like that. So we met, and so she got a chance to meet James Simmons. And so right. our first conversation, man, you know, we was just on the phone for hours. You know how you be on the phone with your, with your lady. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You know, yeah. falling asleep on the phone. You know, you, you sleep. No, nah, I ain't sleep. I ain't sleep. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so, it just, so I knew, I knew I was, I was being drawn to and she was being drawn to me right. from the first conversation that we was on there almost all night on, on the first conversation. So, you know, just just really intelligent and, you know, just really feeling me. And so uh, I, I eventually proposed to her. She said yes. But here's where the challenge came in while I was telling you in the car. She got to the point right. where she felt like, nah, I don't want to do this. And so... She called me up and said, you know, I can't do it. You're not going to get married. You know, come get your rent. I'm like, what? So, Doc, I'm looking like, you know, boo-boo the fool. I'm running to her job, knocking on the window. Looking right. the come in, come in. I need to talk to you. Come right. in, come in, you know. So she comes out, and she, this is what she said. She says, I love you. I love you so much that I feel like, I need to leave you because I don't want to be a detriment to your ministry. Pastor Brown. That's exactly what you told me. That's right. She said, I love you enough to leave you because all she saw was my mom. So she thought being the first lady was my mom's role because you know what my mom, she played for my dad. She was a minister right. of music. And so you, if that's what you seeing, and you ain't talked to anybody, she feeling like I gotta be that, you know. He looking for somebody like his mom, and I, I said, no, no. I said, if I'm looking for somebody like my mom, I'd be trying to send you to organ lessons. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
So right. I'm like, no, I said, listen, just have a conversation with my mom. Come home with me, have a conversation with my mom, and just talk to her. If you still feel the same way, I, I can live with that. But don't leave based on your assumption on what you think a first lady ought to be. So she said, okay. So Ben picked up, brought her to the house, and I said, Mom, this is uh, where well, she knew Keisha. I said, This is Keisha. She need to have a conversation with you. I'm not going to be here. I'm about to take a drive. I'm going to have y'all talk. I drove and I came back, and she was like, Yeah, we can do this. But And then I said, Well, what did she say? After all the years passed, I said, What did she say? She said, My mom said to her that. She said, my son loves you. I know he loves you because he didn't ask nobody else but you. You're the first girl he done brought home and put a ring on. So I know he loves you. So understand, he loves you for you. So what you need to understand is be you, Pastor Brian. Be you. <laughs> bro, bro. He said, she said, be you. If he sees it in you, that's it. Be you. Don't don't go in looking at this person. Don't go in looking at that person. They thinking I gotta wear this big old first lady hat and sit on the front row with the deaconess and all that kind of thing. She was like, go in and be you. You make the mold of first lady fit you the way God made you. And when she told her that, man, you know. It, it just fell into place. And I never went into the relationship trying to get her to be something. I said, now you do need to be in some form of ministry, some kind of way. You know, whatever you want to do, we need you serving somewhere. Can't just have you come to church, just coming looking pretty. So, you know, she understood. She always worked in church. That was no issue. Just finding her niche, which, where she felt like she would work. Because even the first one of the church that I pastored, they tried to put on the front row. And by that time, we had the twin girls, our first set of twins. And she said, no, nah, I'm not sitting in the front. I got these babies. We going to sit at the back because they rambunctious. They moving around. I don't want them to be a distraction in service. So we going to take the back seat. You know what I mean? So after that, after she told them what she, what she, what, what she was going to do, they stuck to it. And then I backed her up on that. So because some people are like, no, no, come on. We understand. No, no, y'all don't understand. Because sometimes my wife had to tear up them fans and use that wooden part. And smack him on them little legs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you got to tell him that Martin Luther King fan. Right. Man, and, and, and hit that little tail with that thing. So she, she didn't want all of them to see all of that going on, man. So, so uh, but yeah, man. But once she understood that it was about her being who uh, the best Keisha could be, man, it, everything just fell right in line, man. So uh, that's the kind of story that I shared with you, Doc. Because my thing was, that I knew the Lord brought her into my life, you know, because watch this. Even when it came to Adam and Eve, if you ever really look at that story, it said the Lord brought Eve to him. The Lord brought the woman to him. Wait a minute. He brought her to him. So he found her because right. he put the Lord put her in position to be found. Right. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I know for a fact. The Lord brought my wife to that basketball game for me to find her. Right. You know what I mean, man? And so, you know, here we are five children later, and 
23 years later, Doc, and watch this, watch this, Doc. We didn't even know this, that my mom lived with us. Rev. 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 You ain't hearing me, Doc. My mother lives here. So that's a whole nother dynamic, Doc, that she was willing to wrap her arms around my mother. Come on down. Live with since my father passed in 2008, she's been with us since 2008. That's what I saw, Doc. I saw the potential of her. I saw her heart, Doc, before I saw her. Because remember, Adam, Adam said to Eve, I see bone on my bone and flesh in my flesh. He saw bone that you can't see. He saw her inside. Lord have mercy. Before he ever saw the beauty on the outside. Because everybody that's beautiful to you ain't suitable for you. Come on, talk to me, Doc. So Adam, Adam had a viewpoint of Eve, not from her outside first. He mentions her bone first, which you cannot see. My goodness. He was able to see her inner before he ever appreciated the outer. That's what came to me when I met Keisha. Because why, I didn't really get a good look at her the first time I saw her because it was dark. But I fell in love with her inner based on that long conversation that we had on the phone, man. That we just, it just, it just, it was just something different. It was just something different, man. So uh that that's what I want to kind of bring over to your attention that man, you know, <laughs> beauty is fine. They go with it. I, I don't I don't knock, you know, I ain't blind. I, I want you to, you know, look, you know, be eye pleasing. I get that. But uh, more than that, man, you know, her inner is just so big, man. It was right. just so huge, man. She, 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 and I always had an issue with her. And when I saw her and her mom and the love she had for family, I'm thinking by me being her husband, now you got my last name. You with me now. I'm, 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 I'm a single man. I was an only child. So everything, this is you mine. And I had to learn just because you got my last name don't mean you lose your identity. You can't lose your identity in my company. You steal somebody's daughter. Wow. You steal somebody's granddaughter. You steal somebody's niece. But me coming in, not really fully understanding, I'm like, look, I'm taking you away from all that. You know what I mean? When I should have been embracing. So our first five years, man, wow. I was something to handle. But guess what? She was patient enough to allow me that that growing process just to help me understand. Because she knew I've been a only child for 27 years, Doc. That was a hard thing to break, Doc. That this is mine. You know what I mean? Right. And so, uh, but I saw that patience in her early on with me. Let me tell you something. Too many women out here, Doc, mm -mm, they wouldn't be able to put up with me. Mm -mm, not what I brought to the table, Doc. Because I was I was selfish. You know, it, it had to be my way. But she helped me, Doc, so much in ministry. You know, I see why people want you to be married when you pass her. Because that opened my eyes to a whole nother a piece of passion that I would not have gained without her being by my side. So, you know, when I found out that she she uh, she was not my uh, uh, competitor, but she was somebody who complimented me. She didn't complete me. She complimented me right. where I was in ministry. And so I tell people all the time that, you know, it's one thing for you to compliment your woman, but she needs to compliment you. Right. Not with the I, but with the E. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She's not looking for a whole bunch of compliments, but she needs to be a compliment. 
<laughs> My goodness. In ministry. You know what I mean? So yeah, that that's that's the latest and the Woo! greatest on that. <laughs> yeah, like I said, that that conversation to this day, because me and my wife uh, now we that's how we were when we first started. That one conversation, even that whole week, I knew it was something different. So you know, you just stay up all night and talking, but you just feel something completely different. So I had yeah. the same experience. So yeah, like I said, that conversation in ministry, like I said, I've never gotten so like I said, Big Bro's been so gracious with his time today. Oh, and I appreciate bless. my big brother so much. Honor. Like I said, we, I anytime I need him, I'll contact him, I'll text him, and he'll give me words of courage. He he may he may he may he'll, he'll correct me when I need it because he because he as he always says I see it in you and I want the best for you so I appreciate yes, my big brother so much. so big bro is there anything else you want to say before we close? Not just that I'm proud of you and uh, take your ministry one day at a time. Learn your people and like my father you tell me all the time stay green, stay green, you stay green you always grow. You know what I mean? Don't don't and, and find yourself a circle that you're not the smartest one in the circle. If you're the smartest one in your circle, your circle too small. You know what I mean? So you want to make sure you always have people in your life. Like I don't have just when my father passed, he was my everything. So now I have five pastors. I have five go-to pastors that I can kind of go to and deal with and uh hold me accountable uh of situations and things of that nature. So uh, you know, make sure you have a group of pastors that, you know, that can hold you accountable, that you can see their life as an example. Uh, because one thing about me, Doc, I'm not just looking at the preacher. I'm looking at the preacher and his family. I'm looking at, you know, because you could be the best preacher in the world, but if you don't lost your family, you know, I got a family of five and my wife, you know what I mean? So, you know, I, I need that staying power. So, you know, you know, you got a lot of people that are, are good preachers, but are you a good parent? Are you a good husband? You know what I'm saying? So that's what I look at. I, I look at with your home. I'm not looking at with your church home. So I try to surround myself with people who have that balance of, you know, dealing with, and not only that, dealing with multiple kids. So it's a difference in, in, in being a pastor and a parent and a husband of one child. When we have multiple children, you know, uh, I'm gonna share with you this one story. Uh, uh, I was doing a seminar with a group of preachers and pastors, and talking about balancing. And one pastor got a major church in D.C. He said, "Man, uh, he said, Pastor, some of you so right about the home situation." He said, "Because I told my wife I was being called to uh, a meeting up with the youth ministry at the church. You know, it's about 200 youth he had to deal with." He said, "I got, I've been called to deal with the, with the youth ministry." And she told him, okay, what about your youth ministry at home? And he, said, and he said, it hit him like a ton of bricks. And that's one of the things, man, that I learned from my, and that's one of the things I learned from my dad that you can't, I told you in a 52 week year, doc, he'd be on the road about 46, 47 of them. So imagine a lot of the games he missed. Imagine a lot of the things and the events that he missed in my childhood. So he told me one of the blessings that you gave me as right. a grandfather was you allowed me to have a second chance to go to my granddaughter's game. But wow. I didn't get asked to go to your game. He said, but you only got one shot at your kids. So don't do it like I did it. He said, me and the Lord organized this church so you wouldn't have to go on the road. Brown, you better hear what I just said. 
He said, I organized first good Samaritan. Me and the Lord got first good Samaritan. So you don't have to always go on the road and make it. I want you to make it right here because you got daughter. He said, I had you. You were only one son. He said, but man, you got four daughters and a son. He said, them daughters, you can't be on the road and raise no daughters. He said, you can't, you, you can't do it like I did. So you need to make sure you have a secure foundation in your church home where you ain't got to go out and try to make it on the road so that your survival at home could be where it needs to be. And I thank God that First Good Samaritan, they take care of me. They take care of my entire family. So I don't have to go out there and do multi-revivals to, to try to put make ends meet, especially in this season, because I ain't going to nobody's pulpit right now. But uh, you know, but they do. <laughs> I know you're not. I know they you're not. <laughs> you, you see me every Sunday, dog, right here in this office, dog. Preaching. Every Sunday, you right there. That's that where you are. <laughs> oh man, but uh doc, I'm so proud of you, man. And just just stay in God's plan. I don't care what you come up with, doc. Whatever the Lord tell you to do, do it. Do it. And I mean, and do it 100%. You know what I mean? So, uh, man, I, I'm, I'm happy for you. I really am. I'm happy for you. I hope I help any kind of way uh, in this conversation. I hope I added to somebody's life in this conversation, man. I hope. I hope. I hope. I hope. Oh, yeah. Oh no! Oh no! You did, cause when you when we get off, I want you to look at these comments. No, you helped. Like you helped me in this conversation. You like you all. Oh, like I tell you, like y'all, you bless me once again. So no, I'm grateful. Uh, like I said, for just I know you know the Lord puts people in your life for a reason. You've been in my life ever since 2015. Was that 2015? I want to say. I think it was 2015, right? About 2015. Yes, sir. You've been in my life ever since, and so I like I said, this is more than just. Uh, a pastor preacher this is literally a big brother little brother relationship yes sir that we had. yes sir and so yes, sir. <laughs> so i love and you I, so and much I love, and i love I lo like i told you earlier before we got on the call i loved your spirit from day one you, I, I i knew the lord hands on you day one that's why i was able to share and be really transparent with you at our first meeting in the car you taking me first to macedonia to preach i mean you it just the our, our spirits connected, you know what I mean? And so Absolutely. uh you know, I, I think the world of you, I can't wait to meet your wife. Uh and so uh, you know, the best to, to both of you, and eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor is it entered the hearts of men. The great thing the Lord has in store for Pastor Chris Brown and family. Love you, man. <laughs> yes, sir. Love you too. God bless you. Love you. Um, you don't don't leave just yet. I'm gonna end this broadcast. Okay. Don't leave just yet, okay? Okay, Thank I'm you here. Thank you so much for watching. We love you and bless you. So hold on, hold on. I'm this right quick.